What's your secret? What's your secret, Paul? I've seen you, I've seen you do things, and I, I've seen your connection with God, and I, I've seen the way that, 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 that the demons themselves listen to you. I've seen the way that sicknesses get chased away. But when my eye interacted with the same things, I got overpowered. So, Paul, I just need to know, what's your secret? Have you ever felt like in this life, and just be honest with yourself, don't raise your hand, you ever felt like in this life that, that you hear about all these amazing things that God's doing in other people's lives? but you just feel like something's missing in yours? Or if you've just had a couple seasons of marriage, maybe this past year, maybe you're going through one right now, where it just seems like the enemy's just overpowering your marriage, overpowering your relationship with your wife, overpowering your relationship with your husband, and you just feel like, you just feel like as hard as you're trying and as much as you're going after and as much changes you're trying to make and as, as much things you're trying to do, you just feel like your marriage is just, just struggling and you just can't seem to get ahead. You just feel like it's getting overpowered. And there's just a part of you that just, you don't understand why. You don't understand why. You go to church, you do the right things. There's just a part, you're trying your best, you're doing your thing, but it just seems like your marriage is taking hit after hit after hit. You just feel like, like the enemy is just attacking your family. Like you just got a hold of your kids in a way that you can't really explain, in a way that you never thought would happen. You're going through things that you just never saw coming, and you're praying, you're doing all the things, you're doing the things, and it's just a part. But it just seems like, it just seems like there's no matter what you're true, there's just like this overpoweringness in your family, and your marriage, and your kids' lives. It feel like just no matter what is, is going on, no matter what you do, what progress you make in other areas of life, there's just that, that secret sin in your life that just seems to get you. You just can't seem to get rid of it. It's just a part of who you are. Nobody knows about it. You've kept it really good, hidden, and it's just almost become like a secret addiction, almost just this thing. And, and it's not that you want to do it, but you just can't stop doing it, and you don't understand. And maybe even you've thought about it, maybe even you want it out, maybe even you prayed about it, but it just seems like it just continually overpowers you, just continually takes a hold of your mind. You just can't seem to get it out. You just can't seem to quit. Have you ever been in a situation in your life, in a season of your life, where you just feel powerless? And there's just a small part of you that's asking, what's the secret? What's the secret of living in the power of God? What's the secret in raising my kids in the power of God? What's the secret? And handling my marriage and the power of God. What's the secret? And there's four or five distinct things that we're going to talk about through the course of this series that I believe will empower us to see God move in our life in such a unique way that we will experience things that we've never experienced before. And that we will see God do things that we've never seen him do before. And we will be a part of things that we never thought we would get to be a part of. And I'm going to go ahead and just get into the first one today. And I always hesitate. I always worry when I, when I preach what I'm about to preach. The subject that I'm about to talk about today. I always get this thing in my mind that as soon as I start to talk about it, as soon as I start to say it, people are just going to start tuning me out because it's the classic age-old preacher message. 
It's something that, that people have shouted at you to do. It's something that people have begged you to do. It's something that people have created all kinds of plans for you to do and all kinds of 21-day challenges for you to do. We've even done it in this church. And I just feel like as soon as I say it, if you don't already know what it is, 95% of these people, you're just going to open up your phones and check scores. You ready? Yeah, I got it. Like, I believe, first off, that in every believer's life, you will never experience any form of public, genuine, true power of the Spirit of God without a secret connection to Jesus himself in your life. Secret connection always results in public power. And my fear is that I will pastor a church, whether we're running 50 or 5,000, I will pastor a church where the majority of people, their biggest part of their relationship with God is when they sit in this room and listen to me preach. That's my greatest fear as a pastor. That I won't teach and preach and draw you and point you to God, to the cross, to the Spirit in a way that you know and you hunger for God himself, not just church and the message that's delivered. There has to be in your life a secret connection to Jesus Christ himself, a very real relationship with him. And it begins with one of the most simplest ideas that every single believer has heard from the time you started going to church, yet for some reason it is not a part of our lives almost at all or in any real powerful way. And my hope is today that I can stop that. And I'm talking about the Word of God. I'm talking about you having a relationship with the Word of God. A secret connection with Scripture arms the Spirit in your life. And I, and I just want to take a second, because I, I know, I know, I'm telling you, I've been in services. I've, been, I've gone to conferences, out-of-state conferences, amped up about what's about to be preached, and they come out and they start talking about reading the Bible, and I literally get frustrated. I'm like, we got it, dude, we know! I didn't drive all the way to Atlanta to get told to read the Bible. But they preach about it. But the older I get, the more that I realize the average and the majority of believers do not in any way have a genuine secret connection with God's Word. Despite the fact that it is if you believe what you say you believe, Words, wisdom, knowledge, understanding from the heart and the mind of the God that created the universe himself. That's been transposed through the spirit of God into a book that took 7,000 years to put together. That now literally is on, could be on every cell phone, could be in every, every everybody's got one. Right? 99% of, 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 of southern people have a Bible. Most of you were given one when you were born, when you were dedicated, when you started coming to church, when you turned 12. There's 50,000 different things why people give you Bibles. 
I went back, one of the most godless men I've ever met in my whole life, this is no lie, one of the most godless men I've ever met in my whole life, when I turned 12, gave me a Bible. And I, to this day, it baffles me. It's in my office. It's the second Bible I was given. Every, by, by, it, it's normal. And I, today, I just want to I, I speed this up because I want you to listen to me. I believe that this is, this is one of those things to where if you get... I, mm, I could not overemphasize, over-exaggerate in any way, shape, or form the importance for a believer to have a secret connection with the Scripture and the Word of God. I, couldn't, I, could, not, I could not overemphasize it. I could not over-exaggerate it in any way. I could come up here every single day and yell and scream at you, and it would never be enough. I, I could preach about reading the Word of God, and here's why. Because if you have a relationship with the Word of God, then you have a relationship with God. Period. And I'm going to tell you three things. And I, 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 my prayer is this morning that this will, will set you up to find genuine passion for God's Word. There, there, there's a scripture in Ephesians where, where Paul's talking about spiritual warfare. And it's a unique scripture. And he's going through, and, he, and, he, and he's saying, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard of this a thousand times. And, and down at the end, in Ephesians 6, he, he says this one word. He says, he goes, I want you to take the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Paul's telling you, he's telling you how to get prepared for spiritual warfare. He's telling you how not to be overpowered. He's telling you how to, to, how to experience God in a genuine and real way, how to be, just be filled up uh, with the power of God and the, and the connection to the Spirit. And, 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 and he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I've heard this probably 50, I've preached a whole series on this. I've heard this probably 50,000 times. And, 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 and it's one of those things. And, and last year, God began to speak to me as I started to study for this series and started to put this together. God really spoke to me that the average person, they don't know the fullness of what this really means. Just one scripture right here really means that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And, and if you have your Bible, just, just show a hand, just show a hand. If you own a Bible, if there's a Bible in your car somewhere, at your house somewhere, in some closet, on your phone, at work, somewhere, that you have a Bible, you own a Bible. I just, I just want to, I just want to see, see hands. Okay. Now, do you actually read it? No, I'm just kidding. Don't. Did you own a Bible? So th this is the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, in the Bible, there are three very distinct words that talk about the word Bible, and they mean three very diff different things. And your relationship and understanding of these three words really will set you apart for your life to be totally and dramatically different. So this, the first word is graphe. The first word that describes the book, I mean, describes the word of God in the scripture is graphe. And I'm going to be very clear what graphe is. Graphe is a book. That's what it means. It means a book. It's this book right here. So if you own a book, if you own the Bible, everybody just raise their hands. If you own the Bible, you own a graphe, right? A graphe is a book. It could be any book. A lot of times, when, when, when they point to the Word of God in the Bible, a lot of times in the Greek, it means graphe, and that's what it just means, a book. It means it's a book, and it's got the nice little leather bound, and it's got the paper, and there's words. Some of them are in red, some of them are in black, and they're just, and it's a book, and it's graphe, and we all have graphe. Everybody can have graphe. Everybody can have access to graphe. Everybody's got graphe. You understand what graphe is? It's a book. Okay. For many people, this is where your relationship with God's Word ends. The fact that you possess a graphe 
even though you may not know where it is, but you own one, you have one, you got access to one, and you believe in Grafe. You believe that this is a book. You believe. You believe it. And there's even a part of you that believes that this is a book written by the hands of God himself. And you believe in Grafe, and you hold a Grafe, and you may even respect Grafe. You may even respect the book. And even though you don't read it a whole lot or believe in it a whole lot or actually apply it to your life in a lot of ways, if somebody's going through something, you'll point to Grafe. Just like when the most godless man I've ever met in my entire life hands me a Bible for my 12th birthday. Signed. Godlessness. Not really. For many people, Grafe is like a rabbit's foot. It's like you got the Bible because you go to church and you live in the southeast and everybody has a Grafe. Everybody has a book. Everybody has a Grafe. And you just have it and you got it. And sometimes you're like, you'll hold it. I've seen people hold it. and they... I've seen people in services that I've preached. They're sitting there. They won't have it open. They won't read it with me, but they just hold it. And you know what I think is the funniest thing in the world? People leave their Bibles here during the week, sitting on their chair, saving seats. <laughs> I always have my grafe in church because it never leaves. <laughs> Happens all the time. Right? Everybody's got grafe. Everybody's got grafe. Here's the thing. Grafe, absolutely, 100% powerless to do anything in your life, Period. This is just a book. This is just pieces of paper, words on a page. You can hold it, play with it, flip it upside down, give it to people, put it in your car, put it on your dashboard, save your seat with it, have it opened up on the mantle when people come in they think you're holy. You can buy little ones, you can buy big ones. You can have King James Version or you can have some that people actually can read. Somebody got mad. Right? It's just a book. And you know about it, it's just Grafe. And you know what? You can even read Grafe, and it's still not bringing a lot of power into your life. Right? We do this all the time. We, we call them devotionals. Usually at the beginning of the year, you don't raise your hand, please, because I'm about to make fun of you. Usually at the beginning of the year, somebody will pose some kind of challenge. We've done it. It's been cool. We've done it. But there'll be like a thing, and, they're gonna, and there's going to be a devotional. And you're going to open up your little devotional, usually from some famous pastor or, or some book, and you're going to open up your devotional, and you're going to read the devotional, and you're going to do your thing, and you're going to have a checklist. You're going to go, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. People do this all the time. I'm going to read through the whole, I'm going to start in Genesis, and I'm going to go all the way to Revelation. So when in reality, as soon as you hit Leviticus, you quit. <laughs> like I have done a thousand times. Right? Because you just, you just open it up, and you're like, doing the challenge. Okay, here we go. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. Then the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet him. And he said, run! Tell the young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls, because a great number of men and livestock in it. I myself will be a wall and fire around it, and the, declares the Lord, and I will be within its glory. Come, come, flee from the land in north, and declare, ten minutes is up. Done. Check. Smoked it. Just read the Bible, y'all. And we go through this, and we read it, and we, and, we, and we do our thing, and we do our checklist, and we put it up, and then two months into it, if you make it, two months into it, three months into it, you get that, nothing's different. Nothing changes. You don't feel any more power. There's nothing really there. And, and it's just, because you just have a relationship with God's word through the word grafe. And it's meaningless, pointless, offers nothing. There's another word 
that means logos. Now, logos is different from graphe. So you can have graphe and even read graphe from time to time, have a graphe challenge, have a graphe devotional, have a graphe checklist, but never experience logos. Logos means the message within the graphe. Logos means uh, the, the, the reality of what is being written actually makes sense and enters into your, our little brains and our little hearts in a way that, that, that we understand. And, and this is the thing, and, I, and I, will never, I will never forget the first time, I will never forget the first time that I truly, in a very real way, experienced Logos. And, and Logos takes place like this. When you're reading Graphe until the Spirit of God shows you something that means something in your heart and your mind and your life. Does that make sense? No? Let me keep going. Okay. Logos is the other Greek word for the, for the word Bible or Scripture and the Word of God. And this happens when, when you open up Graphe and you sit there and you read it, and you're not reading it for five minutes, and you're not reading it for ten minutes, and you're not reading it for 30 minutes, you're not even reading it for an hour. There's no time limit on it. You're, you're just reading it. And your study and your heart and your mind is that you want to understand the logos or you want to understand the message. And so what that looks like, logos, logos looks like this right here. Logos looks like when you're sitting there reading it, and you're like when the uproar had ended. Right, we'll, just read the, we'll just read this over here. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Acre. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Ernest, to Macedonia, which he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the crafts he made. He called them together along with the workmen and related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from his business. And you see here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who was worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great Artemis! the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius. You guys still with me? Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and rushed as one of the men into that Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him in a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people did not even know they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front. Some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great as Artemis and the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd. Men of uh, Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the garden of the temple of the great Arminius and her image? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are uh, pro-councils that can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be set into a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. 
Many of those believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That was a lot. Did you guys get anything from that? Did you, are you bored? Uh, there some people are like, I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm confused. Like, you're just standing up there reading the Bible. Do you know what I was doing? I was reading Grafe until the Lord showed me something that meant something that stood out, that I understood. See, so the thing that, that I just picked up in that, and it's a little cheating because I've been studying this in depth for like the last six months. But after the, the seven sons of Sceva happened and, and the demon did its thing, there was such a fear of, of Christ that in, and everybody began to understand the power and see it that they began to, to change their life. It said that they began to bring scrolls and to bring things from other forms of witchcraft and they began to throw idols and they began to change their life. So for me, now you may not have got this at all. Maybe you'll get this on another. For me, I realized that when the power of God truly starts to move, it will result in life change. Right? That's what, I, that's what I just picked up. Now, you may not have picked up because I was reading that fast, but that's what I picked up. I just said, hey, when God, if God's really moving, life is going to change. People are going to get saved. When the presence of God is there, it's really going to happen. Do you know what happened for me? This might not happen for you, but you know what happened for me right there when I was reading that? Did the light come on? It's the brightest one they had. See, it's not about a checklist. See, what you do is you wake up in the morning and say, well, I don't have time for that. Let me help you out. Don't ever say that to me because I get really mad at you. You have time to do everything you want in your life. And if you really don't have enough time, then the enemy is winning in your life. God never designed your life to be so busy you did not have time for him. If you don't have time for him, you are living in the greatest act of disobedience. You're selling your soul to the culture of time and busyness. You have time for the word of God. Make it. That new Netflix, uh, Netflix thing going around on Facebook, you click on it, it signs in, and it shows you how many shows you're watching, how many hours you spent on there. Do that and tell me you don't have time. You have time. So this is what happens, and I'm going to get for real for a minute. I want you to hear me. If you've been bored, you've been, just pay attention. Get off your phone and listen to me. This is what goes on with most of the modern world. If they have any relationship with, with the Word of God at all, they have graphe. They just got a book. And most of the time, their entire relationship with this book has to do with what the loudmouth punk preacher says on Sunday morning. But God said, I want you to read it. I want you to study it. I want you to intake it. I spent 7,000 years writing it. I sent the Spirit of God over the hands over all forms of the world to put this book together. I protected it through the medieval ages. When they wiped out almost every other book in the history of existence, I, I protected in a very extremely supernatural way this book so that you could live on through it. They have never, they've tried to wipe it out years and years and years and years and years, but it's always held true. I've always protected it. Now it's sitting in your house. This same book that people have died for over the last 2,000 years, died to protect, legitimately gave up their physical life to protect this book so that it could be reproduced, so that it could sit on your mantle at your house so you could read it. And you will watch TV and you will Google self-help books and you will consume every other ounce of wisdom, every other ounce of understanding, but God forbid you sit in a chair one day, open up this book and read it until Logos happens. 
Read it until God speaks to your heart. Read it until the message makes sense. Read it until the Spirit of God shows up in your life and you have one of those moments when you get it. Grafe is powerless. You say, well, how long should I read? Read it until it works. Read it until the light comes on. Logos is when you experience the message of God in your own way. When the Spirit of God opens up the words, it says that the book is, is living and active. It says that it's alive, that it's sharp, that it cuts between bone and marrow, that this is the thing that will penetrate through your mind and your soul to the deepest part of who you are and begin to alter the way that you think, begin to alter the way that you see things, give you power and change your life. It's Logos. The vast majority of people, they never experience Logos. They'll watch TV for five hours. They'll watch football games for five hours. They'll work out for 50 hours. They'll do everything in their life. They got, but they will not sit down and read Grafe until they experience Logos, until the message makes sense, until God speaks to them in a way that they know it and understand it and can apply it. Does that make sense? And this is the thing, and, and this is the dangerous part. Because there's another word that talks about the Word of God in the Greek, and it's called rhema. And rhema means the declared Word of God. It's when logos is declared. It, rhema is, it means that to right now, in this moment today, the declared Word of God. It's, it's basically, many people would say, this is, the word, this is the Word of today from God. It's when it brings, it brings logos into a living active part of your life in the moment in a practical and a real way. And, and I want to go back to Ephesians really fast in 6 because I want you to know that in that word where it says take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Do you know what that word is? It's rhema. That's what it means. That's not grafe which is the word of God. That's not grafe. That's not even logos. That's rhema. So this is the thing, and I, I want you to hear me. All you guys that's been going to church for 50 years, all you guys that's been struggling with stuff, all you, all you guys that you've been playing the game, you're super religious, you believe you got all this stuff, but you have yet to experience truly the power of God in a unique way that, 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 that if you were to interact uh, with the enemy or you were to get that, that the sword of the Spirit, that the Spirit himself could begin to use you and use this word in your life because this is what happens. When you just have grafe or don't have grafe at all, if you just have grafe but you never experience logos, Meaning you've never experienced that, that message that it, the light comes on and it makes sense in your life and you've got this thing. Then the Spirit of God, when it comes time to fight for your marriage or it comes time to handle this temptation or it comes time to handle this sin or it comes time to handle the devil or it comes time to do business, the Spirit of God that lives in you rises up. But because you don't have any logos, he doesn't have a sword. I'm going to say this again. I, The only offensive weapon, and really the only weapon that the Bible says that the Spirit of God uses in your life is rhema. It's the, it's the Word of God. That's the only thing He uses. There's never another part, there's never another scripture, there's nothing signifying to us ever in any other place, in any other place, that the Spirit of God will work in your life or fight in your life using anything other than the Word of God. So when you sit as a believer or as a Christian 
and you don't ever have a logos in your life. You don't ever have that message in your life. You don't ever read and study until you get it, until it picks up, until it's a part of your life. When it comes time for the spirit to rise up in your life, there's nothing there for him to grab and use. Does that make sense? So it's not like you're just, you're just not following, you're not just not being religious, you're just not doing the checklist, you're just not being a good Christian. You're literally disarming the greatest power in the existence of the universe by choosing to watch Netflix football, lift weights, work 15 hours a day, do all these other, do everything else. You're disarming the one thing that can actually bring power into your life. Does that make sense? You'll take your kids to counseling, you'll go to marriage counseling, you'll watch Dr. Phil, you'll do 50,000 other things except for the one thing that will actually bring power into your life. That's why the enemy doesn't really care. That's why the enemy doesn't care if you seek help, he doesn't care what you do, he doesn't care what you change, he doesn't care if you go to church, he doesn't care. As long as you don't have a secret connection with the word of God, he knows you're never going to experience Logos. And he knows that when he comes to attack your family, he comes to attack your marriage, there's nothing within your heart and your mind. There's no Logos there for the spirit of God to rise up and use his rhema to defeat the enemy. So you're powerless. Completely powerless. Do you remember the interaction Jesus had with the devil? Do you remember how that went? Now, I know some of you guys, you're super strong. I get it. I know. Super disciplined. I know. I know. You're going to church a long time. I got, you don't have any problems. I got it. I know. I'm just throwing this out here. If the Son of God who created the universe, Jesus Christ himself, battled the enemy in one way, I think that's the way I'll pick. He's sitting there out in the desert. And the devil himself comes at Jesus three separate times. You remember? You remember how he responded? He said, hey, 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 Jesus, come here. Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days, man. I know you're hungry. Taylor, you guys can go ahead and come up here. I know you're hungry. I know. Why don't you just take these rocks? Because I know you're powerful. Why don't you just take these rocks and turn them in? to some bread and eat it so you won't starve to death out here in the desert. What was Jesus' response? It is written. See, Jesus, Jesus, had, he, he consumed the word of God every day. He consumed the word of God so he had that Logos experience, and then he was filled. His mind and his heart, his body was filled. And then when it came down to the battle, when it came down to that moment when he faced the devil himself, the Spirit of God raised up in him, pulled out, pulled out that word, made it rhema, declared it. It is written. The Bible says that you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the enemy backed off. He came back a second time. He says, hey, hey, Jesus, man, all these people, man, they, they, they doubt you. They're not going to believe you. They're, why don't you go up on the temple, throw yourself off the top, and when the angels swoop down from heaven to save you, everybody will know that you're powerful, and everybody will know, and you won't even have to do some of the things that, that you're going to have to do if you'll just do that. What was his response? Well, I was watching Dr. Phil the other day. No, I've been really working on this positive thinking. I read it in this book. No, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing 40 days of discipline. 
What was his response? It is written. It is written. Do not test the Lord thy God. Don't test him. The devil flees. Devil comes back a third time. Hey, Jesus, I know who you are. I know the potential you have. I know what you can do. So let's just make a deal. I'll give you every city, every country, every nation in the whole wide world. It'll be yours. All you got to do is just bow down. You don't got to go through the cross. You don't have to go through the death. You don't have to go through the pain and the torture, the persecution. You don't have to do any of that. If you just bow your knee down right now to me, just bow your knee to me. I'll give you everything. What was Jesus' response? Did he take a few days to pray and fast about it? No, because he was armed with the word of God. The spirit rose up, took that sword and said, it is written. You shall have no other gods before you. And the enemy fled. See, this is the reason why the enemy's winning the battles in your marriage. This is the reason why the enemy's winning the battles in your family. This is the reason why that secret sin in your life has existed and will continue to exist. This is the reason why you walk around supposed to be representing Jesus Christ, supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God, supposed to have the power of a living God, the same power that created the world, the same power that raised Jesus up from the grave. We're supposed to be filled with the power of God, yet we walk around seemingly powerless as the culture overtakes us. As the culture takes our kids, as porn takes our minds, as adultery seeps in, as sin takes over, the enemy brings down an attack. Very strategic, very smart, offering up temptation day in and day out, working very diligently to destroy the marriages, working very diligently to take the minds and the hearts of the next generation. And all we're doing is giving every ounce of our heart, every ounce of our mind, every ounce of our time to this culture. Ignoring the one true source of power that exists in this world, the Word of God. See, what happens is, and I, and I just want to show you this, because what happens is, and I, and I just want to be for real just for a minute. I just want to be for real just for a minute, because I, I want to show you what happens. When you begin to really get this in your life, and you, you start, you consume the Word of God, you eat it. I mean, you take it, just internalize it. I mean, you just go, you swim in it. If you got to get up two hours early, that's what you do. If you got to go uh, to bed two hours late, that's what you do. If you got to quit watching your favorite show, that's what you do. If you got to quit eating lunch with everybody and get along with the Word of God, that's what you do. Because what you're doing, every time you're reading the Word of God, you're just, you're arming yourself just a little bit more. You're filling up your heart just a little bit more. You're filling up your mind just a little bit more. And when it comes time, to fight the enemy, all of a sudden, not being powerless, the sword of the Spirit now exists in your life. So when the Spirit begins to rise up, He can take the sword and start chopping the head off the enemy. But see, that's a whole lot different than just having grafe, just having a relation, not, not having a relationship with this book at all, or just reading it quick just to get it done, to check it off. See, that's even different than Logos, reading it till the light comes on, reading it till you internalize it, reading it till it matters, consuming it, eating it. Because I can promise you, when it comes down to that last second before your marriage is over, 
when it comes down to that last second before you lose your children, when it comes down to that last second to overcome the enemy, when you're staring the demons in the face, I promise you, you're going to want a sword. And he will begin to cut through the temptation, cut through the sin, cut through the chains, set you free in ways that you've never seen, experience things that you've never seen. Your heart and your mind will just begin to turn on. The Spirit of God will begin to use it because it just brings it up. Remember, you can't be defeated. You're more than conquerors in Christ. Remember, no matter what comes against you, God is for us. And if God is for us, nobody can stand against us. You remember all these scriptures? Right, when your marriage is going down, you got temptations all day long. You got this thing, the spirit just rises up. Hey, hey, you know, you know, if you look at a woman, you know, if you look at a woman, and you have her in your mind, that in itself is adultery. See, but if you don't have that, Lust wins. Every single one of us are fighting a battle every single day whether you choose to believe you're in one or not. And I promise you, from the depths of, from the deepest part of who I am as a pastor, somebody that prays for you every single day, your life is never going to change. Ever. You're not going to experience any genuine or real transformation. You're not going to be a part. You're going to watch a move of God, but you're not going to be a part of one. You're going to become an expert at religion, I promise. But you're never going to see God move until you have a secret connection with the Word of God because it arms the spirit in your life. It empowers you in a way that you've never experienced before. And the other thing is that I want us to take just a second today to understand There is something that takes place. And, I, and I, I, I try my best not to be hyper-spiritual. I try my best not to, to cross some weird lines. But there's something truly supernatural that takes place. When you walk into a room, shut the door behind you, pick up a Bible, I begin to read it with the prayer that the Spirit of God teaches you every day. There's something supernatural that happens. I can't, I can't explain it. I probably couldn't teach it or preach it the way that it needs to be taught. But there's got to be a secret connection in your life with God through His Word. Or you will never, ever ever experience the power of God in your life.
I promise you, it will begin to alter things and change things. And I'm going to tell you something. If you will just shift your eyes, your heart, your mind, your focus, just for a few days, just, just for a few days, if you will put things to the side, just unplug your TV, unplug your computer, just take a, take a couple afternoons away from everybody and everything with a genuine prayer in your heart and your mind for God to speak to you through your word. I promise you that if you do that, God will begin to speak to you in a way that you've never heard it. And it will open up your heart and your mind in a way that you've never experienced. And I promise you, you'll begin to experience a power very quickly that you will know that you've missed from before. I think that the reason why we devote so much of our heart and our mind to the temporary things of this world is because we never spend any real time with the eternal things. There's a reason why all of our New Year's resolutions and all of our goals have to do with the temporary things of this world and that most people don't have a second thought about being used by God. That's why most of the people, even in this very room, you don't have a desire for hell to know your name. You don't have a desire in your heart and in your life to allow God to use you in a way that will shake nations. You don't have a hope. You don't have a desire. All your desires are to be known in this world, to be successful in this world, to be rich in this world, to find love in this world, to, to experience things in this culture. And everything, all the things that drive you have to do with this world. And I'm telling you, it's because you don't spend any time with the eternal. There's something significant that happens when you shift your mind to the supernatural things of God. The way that the Spirit begins to loose in you. And all of a sudden, desires begin to show up. All of a sudden, you start to focus. All of a sudden, things, things that were so important yesterday become absolutely unimportant today. If there's one thing I could beg you, beg you to do different in your life, beg you to, to consider, beg you to go back and change in your life. Make time for the Word of God and consume it, not like a devotional, not like a checklist. Understand that it was pinned by the very breath of God. That when you have that Logos in you, you have within your heart, within your mind, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the understanding of God, the power of God, thoughts of God, God's heart, God's mind, just swimming it. And when the time comes where you need and are desperate for the power of God, the Spirit will rise up. Now He's armed and will begin to cut through the temptation in your life, alter the way you think, breathe new desires in your life, and experience Him in a new way. As a preacher, as somebody who's lived this and seen this, I'm telling you, we could have 15,000 people come to this church and never one time experience the power of God. Or we could have 15 people come to this church who are filled with the spirit of a holy and mighty God, armed with the words 
of his heart and his thoughts and we would see the world changed. I believe that with every ounce of who I am. You want more power in your marriage? Walk into a room, close the door, read it until God speaks to you. Arm yourself. You want more power in your family? You want more power in your work? You want more power? You have an inkling of a desire to be used by God. Chase him in his word. Swim in it every day. There's nothing you could spend your time doing that would be more important than arming yourself with the word of a holy God. You want this year to be different? Be different. You tried everything else, haven't you? You've read everything else. You know what all the Kardashians do when they need help. You'd be surprised about your knowledge of absolutely worthlessness. Yet you have no knowledge of the God who created the world. So go home this very day. Find the Bible. Find Grafen. And begin to swim in it and consume it. With the prayer that the Spirit of God will begin to teach you himself give you the experience of the Word of God. It will set your life on fire. Not a demon in hell can put it out. You guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord, right now that you would just let your spirit rest in this house, God. I pray, Lord, right now that you will move in the hearts and the minds of our people.